the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. The latest on those terror attacks that unfolded in Brussels, Belgium this morning at around 3 a.m. Eastern Time during their morning rush hour. This is the scene as it unfolded, terrified passengers running for their lives at the airport. And this photo here shows the damage. At least two different attacks across the city this morning. And here is what we know right now. It is changing. At least two explosions hit that airport. Another rocked a metro station. At least 28 people now killed, dozens injured. All airport and public transportation in Brussels now shut down. And the terror level there raised to maximum, the highest. The U.S. Embassy is advising Americans in Brussels to shelter there in place. Alert levels raised here in New York as well and other American cities. We have full coverage right now. We're going to begin with Alex, ABC's Alex Marquardt. He is on the scene at the Brussels airport with the latest. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, George. Dramatic scenes here at the Brussels Eventim Airport, one of the biggest international airports in Europe. This is the edge of the police perimeter. We've been told to stop here. Passengers talking about scenes of utter pandemonium inside. These two explosions, now one of which we under, uh, understand uh, was from a suicide bomber coming just after 8 o'clock at the peak of travel time. You can see here there have been thousands of people streaming out from this airport. Just now a new wave of people uh, with their bags, some uh, clutching those airline blankets that, that we've all used. They all they have their bags with them. This is a calm scene here, um, the, but you can see their faces are drawn. They're very serious. There's a lot of confusion. People trying to figure out how to get away from the airport. There are buses lined up taking people away, but the people we spoke to inside describe much more dramatic scenes. We spoke to an eyewitness who was checking into the American Airlines counter when the first explosion went off about 30 yards away from him. He thought that it took place closer to the Delta counter, and that's one of, going to be one of the things that experts look into uh, now is whether uh, anything specifically was targeted uh, in the airport. But eyewitnesses talking about scenes of utter carnage, uh, bodies on the floor, of debris everywhere, of ceiling tiles uh, on the floor. Absolute chaos. Hey, Alex. The first explosion occurred at 8 a.m., the heart of the morning rush hour at Brussels Zaventem Airport. Witnesses described the ceiling caving in and blood all over the departure hall. About 10 minutes later, a second blast, louder than the first, bringing down ceilings and rupturing pipes, water mixing with blood from the victims. We heard the explosion. The ceiling went down, so I dropped down with, on top of my girl, and then there was a second explosion. There was an American guy next to me. He took his girlfriend. We all dropped on the floor. At least 13 dead, the number of injured still being counted. Witnesses described it as a war zone. 
Air traffic control warned the planes circling in the air. There have been explosions in the terminal hall. That's why we don't allow any uh, aircraft anymore. Moments later, an explosion at the Malbec subway station, close to the headquarters of the European Union. Panic when commuters heard a loud boom as the train left the station. First responders ran through the street outside with people on stretchers, their clothes badly torn. I just stood off the, off the metro when uh, we heard a, a loud muffled thud. More panic set in. Some people started running. These coordinated attacks come as the Belgian capital has been on high alert following the arrest of suspected Paris attacker Salah Abdeslam last week. You see now these buses pulling away with uh, people inside, those travelers being taken away uh, from the airport. After that attack uh, at the metro station, the entire Brussels metro system has been shut down. We understand 15 people were killed in that attack, in addition to 13 here. That brings the death toll uh, to close to 30. The entire public transit system across Brussels, including the airport, the metro, the buses and the trains has been shut down. European intelligence officials have been telling us for months it was not a question of if but when the next, next terrorist attack would happen. George? Okay, Alex, thanks very much. Well, um, uh, obviously, uh, this is Al-Fadi and uh, this is Let Us Reason. Um, and we elected to start our show this time uh, in a different uh, manner uh, in fact, uh, we were going through a series related to comparing the God of Islam to the God of the Bible, but in light of the terror attack that took place um, this week in uh, Brussels, uh, we've decided that we needed to at least uh, shift our focus a little bit this week and next week on this particular attack and its significance, of course, in relation uh, in relationship to ISIS and also uh, what does the Quran, of course, teaches. Uh, we keep hearing this rhetoric that uh, we have basically uh, degraded and we're working on destroying ISIS, but attacks like this um, uh, give us uh, a glimpse on the fact that if indeed uh, we are doing something related to degrading and destroying, then we have failed and failed miserably, unless we are willing now to acknowledge that the fight is not just a geographical fight, but rather there is an ideological fight. What I mean by that is we can go and fight ISIS in Iraq and in Syria and even in Libya, and uh, maybe we'll be successful in eliminating uh, basically uh, the um, the uh, uh, hive, basically where the um, or the nest, uh, where the heads are, uh, the rulers, the decision makers are. But that does that mean really the ideology is going to die off? And what I mean by that is this: we are still, I guess, uh, in denial. Uh, I mean. Uh, Instead of calling it uh, basically uh, degrade and destroy, maybe we should call it deny and dismiss operation because we're not grasping the fact that there is an ideology out there coming out of pages that Muslims like these jihadis. Yes, I acknowledge that a minority out of the 1.5 billion Muslims in the world. And what I mean by a minority, we're talking five, maybe 10 percent, still a substantial number. Uh, we're talking anywhere from 75 to 150 million uh, who are willing, really, to uh, push their devotion and zeal to its maximum limit. Some of those look at these pages, those imperatives, those commands that are found in the Quran and the teachings of the Prophet, and they will take them at face value, basically, 
and they will go and commit these acts. I mean, let me give you a glimpse, which we talked about this multiple times in the past, but, you know, uh, there is a value in repeating things. Uh, for instance, in the second chapter of the Quran, like right when you open the Quran, the first chapter is a short one called the opener, starting from the pages of the second chapter, known as the chapter of the heifer or chapter of the cow, just number two, basically. We've, we get to uh, verse number 191, and we read the following, And kill them wherever you find them. Who are they, the ones that are commanded to kill? The Muslims, basically, who are devoted to the message of Islam. And who are they, the ones that needed to be killed? The infidels, those who turned away, basically, from accepting Islam. Now, that, that doesn't mean Westerners only. Uh, in those days, of course, it wasn't just uh, stated against Westerners, even if it is against Middle Easterns, by the way, Arabs who either reject the ideology of Islam and they will be labeled as hypocrites or uh, maybe Christians or maybe even Arab Jews or maybe just agnostics or atheists or whatever the case it might be. This is why ISIS is not waging war, by the way, on the West only. They're waging war against even uh, Saudi Arabia, who is, in the eyes of majority Muslims, is the heartland of Islam, the only probably country that uh, utilizes Islam uh, as its constitution. Sharia law is the basis uh, for their law. Islam is the identity of the nation, yet in the eyes of ISIS, uh, Saudi is not good enough uh, to be a good, basically, uh, Muslim. Now, why uh, is it important for us to understand this? Because when we begin to go through the pages of the Quran and see commands like this, for instance, in chapter 2, once again, in the same chapter, verse 244, then fight in the cause of Allah and know that Allah hears and knows all things. When you hear things like this, that the people who are willing to blow themselves up, suicide bombers, or willing to join the ranks of ISIS, willing to leave the comfort of their maybe homes, whether they're in the Middle East and in Canada, U.S., Europe, uh, you name it, willing to leave all that behind, then you know that they are following a higher calling, and in their mind, this is what God asked him to do, because there is rewards that wait for them. And they also are in obedience to commands in the same chapter. Chapter 2, verse 216 says, fighting is prescribed for you. You see, there is a command here and, and, and a statement that the fighting is prescribed for the Muslims, basically, and therefore, uh, yes, there is only a handful that are willing to carry this uh, to its fullest extent, but even the Quran actually distinguishes between those Muslims who want to follow this command and that their rewards will be much greater, whether on earth or in heaven, and those who elect not to fight. And this, there lays basically the rub and the problem, um, Majority Muslims basically bear the responsibility of standing up and making a clear universal statement. We're not talking about one group and one individual. We're talking about universally, if Muslims truly are convinced that ISIS and the likes of ISIS do not really represent Islam and do not teach uh, truth about Islam and they do not interpret what the Quran says, then they ought to stand up universally, basically, united, and tell the world and ISIS why they're wrong in interpreting these verses and what's the purpose of these verses in the first place. Are they really historical in nature? If that's the case, then what about all the pages of commentaries that date 13 centuries ago and all the way to our day that insist that these are commands? And ISIS basically rely on those scholars who make those kind of statements. I mean, you know, I think we're um, 
uh, ignoring the fact that um, ISIS is not operating out of void. Uh, it's not like somebody in ISIS uh, dreamed up of all these methods and, uh, and says, you know, it will be brilliant, really, to do things like this, when, in fact, they have spiritual support for it coming from the pages of their religious scripture. This is the, th- the issue that we're dealing with in the West. We're in denial. We're not really buying it so far. We don't think those are commands that come from the pages of the Quran. We tend to just uh, uh, repeat ourselves as parrots, basically, talking about that doesn't represent really Islam. That's not what Islam teaches. No, it does, actually. Islam, as a religion, does teach these things in the pages of its primary sources. And we ought to really stand with our Muslim friends and say, what's going on and how can we resolve this problem? Because the damage is done already. And we're talking about next generation right now. Are we going to expose the next generation to the same kind of teachings? And now with the use of social media, uh, it seems like they are more effective in recruiting from far away and more effective in creating sleeper cells and more effective in creating terror. Because this is really exactly what it says in the pages of the Quran, for instance. In chapter 3 of the Quran, verse 151, it says this, Soon shall we cast terror into the hearts of the unbelievers. Now, let me ask you this. It's kind of ironic. We call it terror attack. That's exactly what the intent is behind those kind of attacks. But yet, we're still in denial and in the mood of dismissing. You know, when we continue to do things like this, and when we continue to rewrite history according to our own understanding, then we are certainly slamming, basically, the book on the entire history of terrorism that started almost 14 centuries ago by commands found in the Quran. I'm talking Islamic terrorism here. And my Muslim people pretty much can really argue back with me, and I would love to listen from, uh, with them, uh, from them. Here is my email, siraministries at gmail.com. Siraministries in the plural, siraministries at gmail.com. Please uh, send me your emails. Explain to me why you think I am wrong in pointing things out like this. When I myself, I'm a former Muslim, raised to believe in all these commands, lived in Saudi all of my life, dreamed about becoming a jihadi. In fact, at one point in 1979, I was almost so close to joining, basically, what we call today Al-Qaeda, which back then was known as the Mujahideen movement in Afghanistan against the Russian, basically, attack and invasion. Why do you think I am wrong, who have access to the Arabic language, Arabic sources, commentaries, and I can point out to you, to you tons of those interpretations. Tell me, please, why do you think I am wrong? Next, basically, I'd like to know from you, what is it that you're going to do as Muslims? Because let me tell you this, I'm, I'm concerned for your safety now. Because there are people out there, cowboys, who are going to look at you and are not going to distinguish between you as a peaceful Muslim and the other Muslims who might be uh, basically tempted to carry these attacks. And unfortunately, it's going to have a Uh, basically a negative uh, reaction against the peaceful Muslim communities that exist everywhere. I'm concerned about myself, too, because sometimes people are going to look at me and they won't even know what does it mean that you're a former Muslim. You're still one of them. So we need to really face reality here and face the music and we begin to really understand that there is a bigger issue that everybody is just casting behind and not dealing with it. You see, when you try to deal with cancer, you do not go and treat the cells that metastasize. You go to the tumor itself and deal with the tumor. And yes, after that, you still have to deal with those that are left metastasized all over your body. But nevertheless, you have to eliminate the tumor. What I mean by the tumor here is the head. 
Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, ISIS, basically in their headquarters right now, must be eliminated seriously, not just by sending one missile here and one missile there. That doesn't work. Obviously, it's proven to us that it hasn't worked at all. We may have to really face reality and realize that we are defeated so far. Maybe we're not going to be willing to say this, but the reality is we're defeated because we're not eliminating the source of the problem. And on top of that, we still have to deal with the sleeper cells that are going to arise whenever there is an attack on their headquarters. But that's okay. Let's tighten our belts and deal with it because they need to come out. We need to really ignite their interest to gush out of their hiding places. The only way you do it is when you launch an attack against the headquarters. And then we know where they're at, and then we'll, be ha- we'll have to deal with it. And then from there, we have to really still cooperate now with other Muslim nations, and we need to deal with the issue of the teachings that are found in there, especially those that might impact new generation Muslims. Now, as believers, church, followers of Christ, we have an equally important responsibility. We really need to uh, lay aside these kind of uh, mediocre methods we call the insider movement where we go and tell Muslims, you know, please, you know, just stay where you're at. We need to teach people the gospel of Christ that causes them to rise, basically, and face persecution in order for them to become the light for that church, for the, uh, the hope, for the people in the Middle East and among Muslim communities that they need to hear the gospel and they need to know that some of their own are followers of Christ because when they're hiding Nothing will happen. In fact, Jesus even mocked that. He says, you know, what's, uh, what good's for light, basically, if you put it under the bushel? And that's exactly what methods like Inside a Movement are doing. And if you think, basically, I'm making a comparison between what's going on and the Inside a Movement, unfortunately, I'm going to have to say this. And yes, I may receive some criticism about this. Inside a Movement enables things that are happening because Muslims are not seeing that the gospel is flourishing in their own areas. And that's the problem. This is why Jesus basically told us that unless we are willing to face persecution, just like the prophets before us and apostles faced it, unless we're willing to do this, our numbers will not be increased and uh, our numbers will not be added to the church. That's the whole story of the book of Acts, by the way, that persecution is part of the movement. I just like to hear all the time that there is a a Christ movement. I don't think so. I really don't think there's a Christ movement. Maybe there is a heretical movement, but that's about it. If we really have a Christ movement, we won't have half of the things that we're dealing with in the Middle East. At least there'll be something going on, some hope to draw the Muslims to this. But obviously we're ignoring it, and that's what happens. Now, let's go back again to... Other teachings found in the Quran, and the reason I'm raising this because I want to emphasize to you that it's an ideological problem that we are dealing with. And here's, for instance, one other verse, chapter 4, verse 74. Let those fight in the way of Allah who sell the life of this world for the other. Whoso fight in the way of Allah, be he slain or be he victorious on him, we shall bestow a vast reward. Notice the martyrs receive horrendous amount of rewards, including 72 virgins waiting for them, and the list can go on and on and on, forgiveness of sin, and no judgment whatsoever, and straight to the highest level of heaven, which is called paradise. Well, uh, before we close uh, our show for today, I would like you also to listen to another video, video number two, and then uh, I'll make a quick comment, and next week we will continue with the same discussion.
Far, CNN reports 34 people are dead after three explosions at the Brussels airport and a metro station. Leaders are calling this a terrorist attack carried out by suicide bombers. Moments ago, ISIS claimed responsibility for the bombings. These attacks are just days after law enforcement arrested a, man, a main suspect in the Paris, France attacks from last November in Brussels. And right now, the U.S. Embassy in Brussels is telling all Americans in Belgium to stay where they are and avoid public transportation. Now, we can confirm NBC News reports three Americans are injured after the attacks, but so far, no Americans are dead. Ten on your side's Chris Horn is live in the newsroom with the latest details. Chris? Katie and Lex, the list of casualties has been growing steadily over the past several hours. The explosions occurred first at 8 a.m. Brussels time and then... Another explosion that reportedly happened, get this, at 11 minutes after 9, yes, at 9.11 Brussels time. Within the past 30 minutes, ISIS has claimed responsibility. A series of deadly explosions rocked the city of Brussels Tuesday morning with two blasts at the airport killing several people, according to the public broadcaster RTBF. Witnesses told broadcaster RTL that at least one of the explosions occurred in the airport's departure hall. 8.15 uh, this morning, I'd gone through security, 8.15 local time here. Suddenly, uh, about two to 300 people went rushing away from the security checkpoint towards the, the gates. Authorities evacuated the airport, directing passengers onto the runways. They had us evacuate by foot uh, on the airport tarmac, bringing us back towards the main building of the airport. A separate explosion, meanwhile, rocked a subway station in the suburb of Malbec, which is where European Union institutions are located. All metro stations have been shut down, according to the official Twitter account for the local transport agency. Additionally, all Eurostar trains to Brussels have been canceled, according to an announcement at the San Pancras train station in London. And here are the latest numbers from these horrific attacks. CNN is quoting Belgian media that as many as 34 people were killed, another 187 wounded in two explosions at the Brussels airport, one at the city subway station. We just got in that the airport will remain closed for the next several days. Regarding the two airport bombings, U.S. officials say they believe one was a suicide bomber, the other was a suitcase bomb, a device. As you mentioned in the lead, these coordinated attacks come less than a week after authorities captured a prime suspect in the Paris bombings from November. President Obama said this morning these were outrageous attacks against innocent people. More from him in just a few moments. And Pope Francis, meanwhile, also condemned the attacks and offered prayers for the Belgian people. Live in the newsroom right now, Chris Horn, Ted on your side. Well, um, our time is running out, basically. Um, so I wanted just to close by doing this. Um, as believers, we really need to remember to pray now for the people of Brussels. Uh, we need to remember to pray for the people of Europe. We need to remember to pray for our Muslim friends. Everybody's terrified, uh, I'm sure, at this moment. Uh, everybody has their own thoughts. Everybody has their own ideas of how to protect or retaliate. But we ought to really act and behave as a church. And let me remind you, by the way, persecution is part of who we are, and we need to really realize that there is a greater calling, a higher calling for us as a church. Acts chapter one, uh, Acts, Acts chapter eight, verse one says this: On that day, right after the persecution, basically, and the killing and the stoning of Stephen, it says this: On that day, the day when that happened, 
a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered. And let's let's see now what happens when they were scattered in verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. You see, God has a plan for the church, no matter what the condition situation is, and he made a promise that I will be with you until the end of the age. It baffles me when we focus on the Great Commission and we forget the last clause, and I will be with you until the end of the age. We always focus on all nations and the approaches and how we're going to reach out to them. And should we really translate the Son of God this way or that way? Should we remove the word Father or not? And all these semantics that end up basically diluting the gospel and people will die and their soul has been destroyed because we care about numbers. That's plain and simple. Well, we are approaching our close this was a special episode from Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi, and I ask you that you pray for me, you pray for my people, you pray for my family, and you pray for the Muslim people that they know the gospel, the gospel of peace, the only peace that surpasses all understanding in light of the stir attacks, and especially what happened this week in Brussels. Until we meet next week, have a blessed week. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.